www.cliffcentral.com Hello and welcome to the Health Hour. I'm Dr. Jonathan Witt. Health Hour every Wednesday from 1 to 2 p.m. on Cliff Central. Uh, you can get hold of us on Twitter, the at Cliff Central com account. Uh, you can also call in 0861-555-189 and obviously contact us on WeChat. <coughs> My Twitter account at Jonathan underscore Witt. Today on the Health Hour, we're going to be discussing the spine uh, and uh, all the things that can go wrong with it um, and a lot of the treatment and management of those problems. You can call in at any time with any of your medical problems. Uh, our expert on the spine will answer whatever you've got regarding that, and I'll answer any other medical queries you have. And obviously, you can message us, and I'll try to get to answer your queries there as well. Starting off, though, as we do every week with uh, Catherine Child, a health journalist from The Times. Catherine, are you there? Hey. How are you? I'm very good. I've just got back from the first world, so it's a bit of a shock, but I'm well. From Germany, um, while they were winning the World Cup. Because they know how to do everything well. They know how to play soccer well and run the trains well. I even saw (laughs) one of their hospitals, you must see it, the Ah, government ah. hospitals. Everything's amazing. It was amazing. It was like they did a test during the operation and they got the result back in 10 minutes to guide them on how to finish the operation. So it, it was just mind-blowing to see what can be done. <sighs> yeah, all right. Back to our reality. What's going on? Well, the UN has just released a report at 11 in Geneva. Mm-hmm. Apparently, they were busy up finishing it overnight yeah. on the state of HIV in the whole, and AIDS in the whole world. Yeah. And, I mean, one of the shocking things is of the 35 million people living with HIV, most of them are here in sub-Saharan Africa, and 19 million don't know they have the virus. So 19 million? Yeah, that's what they, I mean, that's just come out two hours ago. And sub-Saharan and, Africa basically being SADC, essentially, the sort of yeah. South Africa, Botswana, Namibia type countries. And Osuji, yeah. And Zimbabwe, and obviously. It's got the, it's got 24 25,000 people, 25 million, sorry, of the 35 million are in sub-Saharan Africa. So that's about two-thirds are here. And a good half of those don't know that they've got the virus. So that's pretty, like, depressing. Is there any improvement on previous stats? Can we compare it yet? Is it too early? I mean, they're comparing now with 2005. So they're saying the number of deaths... That will, happened last year were 35% lower than the number of deaths in 2005. So, okay, so less people dying. Is it less people getting infected, though? There are slightly less people getting infected, yes. They mm-hmm. say new infections have fallen by 38% since 2001. So there are more people on treatment, so less people are dying. But there are also, not in South Africa, but worldwide, there are fewer infections since 2001. Okay, so we're getting somewhere, just not far enough. We're getting somewhere, and that's good. I mean, I think the experts who are releasing the report have been around a long time, and they wanted to. They say things are bad, but we have we've made huge progress. There are 13 million people worldwide on ARVs. It's about a third of people with HIV on ARVs, and and that means they won't die. So there's some good news. Okay, good. In and anything else? Anything else on that? Well, they said TB deaths, I mean, that's the biggest killer of people with HIV, have fallen 36% since 2004. So you can be pretty pleased about that. And then they said that most of the people in sub-Saharan Africa who did go for an HIV test then went to go and get antiretrovirals, about 90% of them. So they didn't say, oh, I'm positive, 
I'm going to die. They went to try and access treatment. So, All right. so that's a positive thing too. Absolutely. All right. So, and hopefully the more people on ARVs, the less infections and so on and so forth. Yeah. So they, they're hoping that like for every 10% increase in treatment coverage, there'll be a 1% decrease in the number of new infections because people are less infectious or not at all infectious on ARVs. Well, here's so hoping. So they're hoping a 10% increase in treatment coverage, 1% down of new infections. So it's, it's a sad report, but there's also a lot of progress. All right. That's great. And uh, is that it for for this week? No, there's there's some more happy news. I mean, um, there's a new there's new research showing that there may, and I mean, once again, science moves very slowly, but there may be a test for um to detect Alzheimer's. And as you okay. know, like we have no treatment for Alzheimer's, so the best thing is to detect it early and try slow down the disease. But we can't detect it early, so sorry for you if you have Alzheimer's. So um. There's a new test out in Britain where they're looking at something in the retina of the eye, which okay. is some cell that might be able to show that you are at a very early stage of Alzheimer's. But we can't do anything about it. Well, we can probably slow the progression down if we can, if we can detect you a little bit earlier. But yeah, we can't do anything about it. Oh, it sounds like a horrible screening test. I'm terribly <laughs> sorry. You're going to develop Alzheimer's, but there's absolutely nothing we can do about it. Just warn your family that you might start forgetting where you left your keys. Well, then at the same time, yeah, it is a bit depressing and maybe unethical to tell people they're getting yeah. a disease and there's nothing we can do. Yeah. But then there was a study in Lancet Neurology on Monday, and I mean, the Lancet's a good journal. We can take it a little bit yeah. more seriously, yeah. saying they seem to find that exercise can halve your chance of getting Alzheimer's. So they were looking at different lifestyle threats that drive dementia, and I mean, there's different forms of dementia, and they don't know what causes it all, but they still seem to find that exercise really had a benefit. Okay, good. So, um, so once again, exercise is good for everything. It's good for everything, but sorry, we can't actually treat your Alzheimer's, but we might be able to find out early, like, if you're going to get it, but, but whatever, just exercise. Okay, my advice, don't go for that test. <laughs> I'm sure it won't be on the market anytime <laughs> soon. I doubt it. Enough to depress you. Okay. All right, thank you. Cool. We'll uh, we'll chat to you next week. Good luck uh, being back at work. Yeah, it's a bit and, uh, of a shock. I'm, I'm so sorry. See you next week. <laughs> All right, welcome back. Thanks, thanks very much. Okay, bye. Okay. Right, so uh, we're going to take a short break, uh, and when we come back from the break, we're going to be with our guest uh, talking about the spine, all kinds of spinal problems, and uh, it's quite a big problem actually, as we'll discover. So. Oh! 
Right, we're back, the health hour. Uh, and I want to introduce my guest today. Uh, his name is Michael Dare. Michael is a, a physiotherapist, uh, trained in the Cape. We uh, apologize for that, obviously. Um, and uh, has done a master's in orthopedics. Uh, specializes essentially in patients with uh, spine problems, uh, treatment of that, uh, and, and chronic sort of pain related to that. But I'm going to let him explain more about it. Michael, welcome to the show. Thanks very much for having me, Jonathan. No problem. Um, right, so tell us what you do. Uh, I'm a physiotherapist, um, and I, as you've mentioned, did my master's in orthopedic manipulative therapy. All right. Which is a subspeciality or sub-branch of physio, um, and and that discipline mainly focuses on orthopedic pathologies, and obviously the majority of those in modern-day living is spinal problems. Okay. All right, so... So how, if, if we talk about the spine, I mean, obviously, the spine is quite a big uh, part of your body. Uh, we're talking about sort of three components, uh, the cervical spine, the thoracic spine, and the lumbar spine. And the cervical spine being in the neck, thoracic spine uh, in the back, and that upper part of your back and chest, and uh, then obviously the lumbar spine being the lower back. Um, so it's quite a big uh, sort of part of the body that we talk about. But how big a problem is it? Well... Every every section of the spine, as you've mentioned, has um, a different prevalence and, and a different set of unique problems to it. Yeah. But if we specifically look at the lower back or lumbar spine, as you've mentioned, it is it is quite a big problem and often quite underestimated in in the world. Um, if we if we look in the United States, for example, chronic back pain costs the economy over 120 billion rand a year. Um, which which is quite a substantial amount, and if we look at lifetime prevalence of of lower back pain, we're looking at about 90%. So 90% of people within their lifetime will experience at least one incidence of lower back pain. So I mean, I, I actually made the comment on Twitter yesterday when advertising the show. I said, you know, people should listen because if you don't have back pain yet, you're probably going to get it at some point in your life. Sure, and and that's a very important point that you make is. Your, your lumbar spine or your lower back is quite a mobile segment and it actually bears the majority of your body weight uh, when you sit specifically. Yep. So having incidences of, of lower back pain, you know, periodically once or twice over a number of years is actually a normal experience, um, which I think that people often forget. Yeah. Okay. So, so lumbar spine being the major sort of area usually, uh, and, uh, is it because we're not really be meant meant to be walking upright? Is it a bit of an evolutionary issue? Uh, I'm not too sure about that. I'm not too well read on the whole bipedalism um, topic. Yeah. But I think it's been quite a few thousand years since we've been walking on all fours. So damn you, evolution! We should have adapted <laughs> by yeah. now. We should be better. Uh, all right. So in terms of uh, in terms of the problems that are relatively common, what, what are we looking at? What do you see in your practice? Okay, well, if if we look at lumbar spine pain or lower back pain, there's a very good breakdown um, that's kind of accepted in the literature that have that has been researched through numerous systematic reviews. So when we talk about lower back pain, we talk about non-specific lower back pain, and I'll I'll elaborate what we're talking about specifically there. Yeah. And then we talk about nerve root pain. Okay. And then we talk about serious 
pathologies, will be, which will be your systemic pathologies, like okay. your cancer, your rheumatoid arthritis, your ankylosing spondylitis, and those kind of pathologies. Let's go through, because there's lots of terms that I'm sure you right. and I might get, but uh, <laughs> listener with no medical background, you know, it's new sure. to them. So the first, uh, the first sort of group, which is the non-specific. Okay. So when we talk about non-specific back pain, we are specifically talking about lower back pain, which has no evidence on bloods or any kind of investigative imaging. So no concrete findings on MRIs, CT scans, X-rays, etc. So this is the patient who comes into me and says, you know, I've got such pain, and they point to their back, mm-hmm. and. Uh, I say, all right, let's do an x-ray, and I do an x-ray, and I can't see anything. And they come back, and they go, and I still got pain. So I do some blood tests, and still nothing. Sure. And they even come back again, and we burn their medical aid, and we do an MRI. Uh, and we can see absolutely nothing wrong with them. So um, essentially, if they were dead, and we did an autopsy, we'd find probably nothing. But they're still complaining about pain. Mm. Is that... Well... When we talk about, the, I think the important thing to realize is if we look at the statistics, is mm. 90% of people presenting with lower back pain have non-specific lower back pain. Um, so it's the overwhelming majority. Definitely. Um, and a, a, about 5% have nerve root pathology, which we can elaborate a bit on as, as we proceed. And then less than 3% is serious pathology. Okay. So, so 90% present with this non-specific, and usually it's not really it's something that can be treated, managed, and it's probably not going to kill you. Sure, sure. Um, the I think the the important thing to realize is, uh, and the way medicine is going at the moment, especially in the musculoskeletal field, when it comes to lower back pain, is if 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 your lower back pain is kind of centralized as yeah. in, in the back, and there is no distal referral or into the legs, referral of pain into the legs. Okay, so it's just pain in the back, nothing anywhere else Correct. in the body. And the pain is has been of a duration for less than three months, mm. and there's no serious trauma that could have started the pain. The new guidelines coming out from the International Spine Societies are say, actually say no to MRIs or X-rays so or don't, CTs. Don't over-investigate, sure, in other words. Sure, because I think the over-investigation of spinal pain is actually breeding the problem that we have of chronic pain and specifically in the lower back that the world faces today. Okay. All right. So when I when this patient comes in and they've, they've got this uh, non-specific pain, 90%, as we say, are going to come in with this non-specific pain, just pain in their back, no real reason for it. Um, what's our approach? Well, I think, as I've mentioned, is obviously – you know, a, a good interview or subjective examination yeah. and an objective examination are very important. Yeah. Listen to what your patient has to say and examine them. And if you as a medical professional can find any reason that there may be a systemic or a serious pathology, then that would obviously warrant further investigation. Sure. sure. But if, if it's kind of a non-specific lower back pain that is not too severe, there's no trauma, there's no distal referral or anything like that, I think just your conservative management and and the research actually shows that the sooner you get these people back to activity, back to work, back to their daily living activities, they actually do much better in the short okay. and long term. So essentially what you what what we're talking about is if that's you, then you should be probably taking when we say conservative management, we mean uh, you should be probably you can for a short period of time take something like an anti inflammatory type of drug. Um and 
probably do certain types of stretches or exercises which target that specific area or muscle group and uh, and then sort of get back to what you usually do. Sure. All right. Yeah. Um, so, okay, that's the non-specific. We'll get to sort of the treatment side of things from the physio side. But mm-hmm. um, if we talk uh, on the sort of, let's talk about nerve root pain a bit because I think certainly as you get older, this is more common. Sure. So so when we talk about nerve root pain is obviously your your lumbar spine gives origin to several nerves um, which innervate the muscles and give you feeling in your legs. Okay. Um, and so, so let me uh, – sorry, I just I want to make sure everyone's on the same page. Um, all right. So obviously you need to remember that your spine is made up – and you can jump in here if I say anything uh, off kilter. Um, your spine is obviously made up of bone. Uh, which is the vertebra, um, and then through the center of that essentially runs uh, your spinal cord. Uh, so the vertebra exists really to give you shape and and form, because uh, you wouldn't really be able to stand up straight unless you had bones, and those include your vertebra. But uh, essentially one of their main other functions is for the spinal cord to run through them, and they protect the spinal cord. But at the same time, the spinal cord, which is thousands of nerve fibers, have to come out of the vertebra to go to whichever muscles, as you mentioned, or organs which they serve. So, for example, you would find in your lower back, if you were to cut someone open or do an MRI or whatever it is, you find nerves coming out from the vertebra. And in the lower back, for example, those will go and feed, say, the parts of the legs. Uh, And so if I were to cut one of those particular nerves and that fed, say, your hamstring, uh, you suddenly wouldn't be able to use your hamstring anymore. All right. Yes, that's that's exactly it. Okay. Um, and w- when we talk about nerve root pain, we're specifically talking about pain that originates from a pathology in one of the nerves coming out of the spine that you've just spoken about. Yeah. And in the vast majority of cases, that pain would be as a result of a herniated spinal disc. Okay. So just uh, sorry, I forgot the disc completely. But essentially, between the vertebrae, these bones that sit on top of each other, essentially, um, if bone rubs on bone, obviously that could be quite painful. And uh, certainly, you're not going to live to 70 and have a spine left if bones just rubbing on bone, um, because they rub each other out basically. So between your vertebra are intervertebral discs. Uh, essentially, the discs uh, are made up of soft tissue. Uh, which cushion the bone against each other uh, and also cushion you against force. It's the reason why you can jump off uh, a height, of, of a normal height, don't do anything stupid, but you can jump off a normal height and, and not break your back. Uh, so those intervertebral discs, you're saying, get compressed. Well, essentially what happens is um, either over time or through a, a trauma, which typically happens in your kind of flexion rotation type activity, so bending forward and picking something heavy up and turning with that weight um, in your arms, okay. that that results in, in an actual tear in the fibers of the disc that you've just explained. Yeah. And obviously when there's pressure through the back, like when you're sitting or picking something heavy up, the disc is going to move to the weakest point and bulge at that point. So where the tear is, you'll yeah. find that there will be a small protrusion over okay. there. All right. So when when we look at the spine and we look at the nerves, we, we talk in very small distances, micromillimeters in space, that allows that nerve to glide around the disc or around yeah. the, the joints over there. So 
these protrusions of of the discs can result in either a compression. Yeah. Which so that's pushing on the nerve correct, itself. Correct. Correct. Or what what normally happens in in most well I wouldn't say most cases but quite a few number of of nerve root pain cases is the protrusion of the disc doesn't actually compress the nerve but it just results in a stretching of the axon of the nerve to curve around that protrusion of the disc. Okay. Okay. And that that will definitely so result. We're either squashing the nerve or pulling the nerve, essentially. Correct, correct. Right, and and both of those are going to cause pain to the patient. Yes. And that can be pain at the site. So in other words, pain at your back, where you actually point to your lower back. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it can also be pain. Then you get referred pain, as you you were mentioning a bit earlier, which is which is because nerves obviously travel from that mm-hmm. point in the spine to wherever they're meant to be. Uh, they can cause pain anywhere along their route. So you might find that you've got this sort of protruding uh, vertebra, uh, sorry, protruding disc, which uh, is causing pressure on the nerve, and then you get pain in the back, but you also get pain in the back of your leg. Commonly known as sciatica, many patients get that as an example. But that can be any nerve. Am yeah. I- yeah. Um, you know, the, the medical fraternity and, and particularly physiotherapists have done a lot of research on, on what we call dermatomes and myotomes. Yeah. And Just these, explain that quickly. These are every, every nerve that comes out of your spine. So, so as we mentioned, there are yeah. several nerves has a specific area on your leg that it provides feeling to mm-hmm. and a specific muscles that it provides strength to. Yeah. So through lots and lots of research done by very clever men in the past, They've actually um, developed a, a very specific and sensitive way of testing these nerves. So through good good physical examination, we can actually identify within quite good reason which actual nerve from the spine is the problem, or or which one is getting compressed, as you said, so, or stretched. So it's 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 once again you can examine someone, and and actually someone could probably look this up on the internet and examine themselves. Um, uh, yeah, we're not recommending it, but uh, you could you could at least do a little bit of you, you, if you wanted to, you can do the research to the point that you can go well. It's sore over here, the top of my leg, but not sore on the side of my leg, and I know that this particular part is fed by a specific nerve coming from a specific vertebra, essentially. So you would probably know then where the pathology is. Yes. Yeah. Exactly. And. Um you know, if if you look at the the randomized control trials and systematic reviews that are out, which are high levels of research, is physical examination from from doctors and physios that are trained in the orthopedic field is actually quite accurate when we compare them to MRIs in in which nerve root from yeah. the spine is actually has or or actually has the pathology. Okay. So, I think a lot of the time, with especially you know your your non-specific back pains that yeah. we chatted about earlier are often subjected to to imaging unnecessarily. Okay, because obviously any good if you're a good clinician, essentially you should be able to pick up where the problem is without all the testing. Sure. Which is just only going to confirm what you already know. Mm. All right. So so we got the non-specific. We've got this sort of nerve uh, uh, this nerve compression. Uh, and then uh, we spoke a little bit. Uh, we mentioned about the sort of non-benign causes, or what did you call them? Serious pathologies. Okay, so oh, serious pathologies. Okay. So those g- give us some examples and just explain them, because so, ankylosing spondylitis is a big word to most people. Correct. Probably a swear word. It sounds like a swear word at least. 
All right. So when we talk about serious pathologies, these make up less than 3% generally of your spinal pain or right. specifically so your lower back pain. If you've got back, back pain, pain, you are not going to die. Calm down. Probably. In, in most cases, yes. Most that cases. is correct. Okay. If in it's the you, you, yes, you listening, yes, the one listener, you're probably going to die. But everyone else will be fine. So... So what, what kind of things are we looking at? Okay, so when we talk about serious pathology, obviously the first word that comes to mind on people's lips is cancer, okay, yep. which is your kind of benign serious pathology. Yeah. Um, and there, there are various kind of signs and symptoms, systemic symptoms that we look out for. Um, and with generally cancer. these... The, the biggest problem, sorry to interrupt, but the biggest problem with the cancer, obviously, is that it can be cancer of anywhere. So... There's a lot of cancers. Prostate cancer commonly goes to the back, to the spine. Uh, breast cancer commonly goes to the spine. Lung cancer commonly goes to the spine as well. So um, you could have a number of different cancers, uh, which uh, patients may actually present, say, I've got back pain, and we investigate the back pain only to find that, yes, there's something there. And when we find out what that something is, we actually it looks like breast tissue. And we go back and then we look at the breasts and, and unfortunately find out that the person's got metastatic breast cancer. All right, sorry, I, I interrupted. No, sure. So, so as I said, is you know someone will present with systemic signs that they are unwell, they've lost a lot of weight um, in the recent past, they they just don't look well. And as you yeah. mentioned, when you do the necessary bloods um, and and imaging, you'll find these these kind of causes. But Cancer of, of the lumbar spine actually makes up a very small kind of part of that 3% of serious pathology. Um, when we talk about serious pathology, we also talk about things like rheumatoid arthritis. Okay, so that's an autoimmune disease which attacks basically joints and bone. Correct, yeah. Right. So so obviously that has its own you know blood investigations okay. that one can do to pick up. Um, ankylosing spondylitis is another one that, okay, that there's that Greek swear word again. Ankylosing, <laughs> that, what's ankylosing spondylitis? So essentially, in layman's terms, is what happens is over an extended period of time, the lumbar spine actually becomes fused through okay. through a disease process of breaking down of cartilage and connective tissue in the spine. Okay, um, so you actually get the joining of two vertebrae over over a long period over of long time. Period. You will. Uh, okay, and. It, it, just so everyone knows, essentially the vertebrae are meant to be completely independent from each other. So if you join them together, obviously now you don't have the movement you would expect. Yes, that's correct. There will be progressive stiffness over time. Yeah. And and once again, with, with ankylosing spondylitis, there are abnormalities that a rheumatologist will pick up on, on blood tests and blood results sure. that will indicate systemic pathology. Okay. All right, good. So we've been through all the sort of three different areas. Uh, let's take a break, and when we come back, uh, we'll discuss some more specifics and uh, our treatment approaches. Take a moment for yourself. Can't stop. 
exciting news. MTN are now offering uncapped unradio on WeChat for a limited period. MTN are excited to announce the launch of the new and improved internet services which cater for customers' social, chat, and browsing needs. Buy any MTN internet service and stream Cliff Central for free. Uncapped unradio on WeChat for a limited period. T's and C's apply. Go to mtn.co.za for details. Cliffcentral.com. Welcome back to the Health Hour, your alternative to Jenny Chris Williams on a Wednesday between 1 and 2. So we're back talking about the spine. Uh, Marilyn wants to know uh, Mark's surname. His surname is Dare. Uh, so he dares you to come and see him. He practices in Bedford View. And uh, we're discuss- discussing the spine, all the pathologies that you get. Uh, so, Mark, just before we get into some more specifics and a bit of the management side, uh, Let's talk about acute pain versus chronic pain. Sure, and and that is definitely something which has brought about a lot of research in in the last ten years is the idea of of chronic chronic pain and specifically chronic lower back pain. So when we speak about acute pain, we we're referring to time frames. Okay. And your acute back pain would be typically someone who has hurt their back and is experiencing some form of discomfort within, give or take, two weeks of the injury. All right. And that is a normal process of damage to your tissue, and obviously as time progresses, the level of pain or discomfort should decrease with time as healing occurs. All right. When we talk about chronic back pain, we're talking about back pain which extends beyond the proposed or normal time of healing that should have occurred. So, for example... If you pick something heavy up and you hurt a joint or a disc in your back, yeah. you will experience pain and discomfort and some level of disability for a few months. All right. But then as time progresses, you should experience less pain and return to normal. Okay. So uh, Neymar, as an example, uh, who supposedly fractured his spine, what a load of nonsense. Um, but essentially, uh, you know, we all saw him walking around at the semi, at the uh, third and fourth place playoff and and he'll be fine he'll have a bit of discomfort for a while probably go through a lot of i'm sure there's a lot of people looking after him but essentially six months time he'll be playing again uh, without any problem maybe even sooner sure that's exactly it okay so Um, that's an acute type of thing chronic is well a lot of people have chronic pain i'm sure um and this is someone who's going to come to you and say i've had back pain for years uh, and nothing i do makes it better and all the rest of that um, so if we talk about that, I think something quite common that uh, I've come across, at least in my practice, which is osteoarthritis, or sometimes people just say arthritis. Uh, tell us a bit about that. So when when we speak about chronic pain, I think something that we need to realize and, and that the medical fraternity used to think is that the pain or, or the problem was solely in the tissues, so in the back, for yeah. example. and New research has shown that in actual fact, there are changes that occur in the nerves, in, in the actual channels and conduction of pain in the nerves of your body, okay. and actual changes in the brain um, that have been shown on MRIs that are, you know, in the past that occur when chronic pain happens. Okay. So essentially what happens is as, as your nerves and your brain conduct and process pain over time, mm. they become better at it, just as, as any other kind of learned function occurs in the human body. Right. So 
we find that a lot of the time people with chronic pain, despite the state of their tissues, whether there is in fact damage in the spine or injury in the spine, the nerves and brain are still processing and conducting pain and the people are still experiencing pain. Okay. It, it, is it that they, do they get more used to it? As a, you know, is it, does it get better because they're used to it or, or not really? Or is, in, I suppose what I'm saying is because you mentioned that uh, the way that you're almost processing, the way the physiology around the nerves works, it, it almost changes. And so the way someone uh, who's, who's feeling chronic pain is feeling that pain, and the process around that is completely different to someone who's feeling acute pain. Absolutely. Uh, so, so, um, but it doesn't necessarily make it better because they have it all the time. No, um, it's it's just it's different in a way. Sure. Um, for for example, if if we look at people that have done chronic pain, and a study that that I really like that was done by a guy called Lorimer Mosley in Australia, who's one of the four frontiers in chronic pain, is yeah, he actually showed that. The, the areas in the brain that, that control the lower back or supply the lower back in people with chronic lower pay, back pain actually atrophies. The, the brain area that supplies that area actually becomes smaller and shrinks sure. in the area of chronic pain. All right. So that, that. But they still feel the pain, obviously. Absolutely. All right. Absolutely. Just probably the processing is, 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 it, it's, it's almost because it just processes the same signal all the time. So there's not much almost thinking behind it. Yeah, I think that if if we look on a biological level, the entire physiology and biochemistry of your your nerves, which are your peripheral nervous system, and yeah. your central nervous system, which are your brain, change when, when your body processes pain for a long period of time. And people develop a lot of abnormal kind of um, symptoms or, or signs that you would expect. For example, someone with chronic lower back pain may experience pain with normal um, stimuluses like touch or or warmth on, on their back. And that's a concept that we look out for known as allodynia. Sure. And, and that's just one aspect of how the nervous system of someone with chronic pain has adapted and changed when we compare it to the normal person. Yeah. So essentially in these people, conventional treatments like surgery, and, and drugs are often very ineffective, and physiotherapy too for that matter, mm. is because we're focusing all our attention on treating the tissues in the back when the actual majority of the problem is lying in the physiology and biochemistry of the nervous system. Sure. So, how, so all right, well, I mean, that brings us to a huge question on, on sort of the, the management approach, the treatment. I mean, someone who has this back pain, uh, we mentioned arthritis. Mm. I think that must be a relatively common presentation, certainly uh, – if you're over the age of 60, you uh, a large percentage of the population is probably going to suffer with that. Ladies are going to uh, have a lot of problems usually with their bones because once you postmenopausal, uh, you lose your estrogen and and that and estrogen is really good for your bones, by the way. Um, so uh, it's it's really a common sort of thing. So someone comes to you and they have not acute pain but but a chronic pain. You know, they say to you oh, it's months and months or even years sometimes. I'm sure. Um, where do you start? Well, I think let's go a bit on the topic of arthritis, as you said. is Arthritis is something that, that is a normal process in, in most people's bodies. Is It's not a, system, a systemic disease or, or a serious pathology. It's a normal wear and tear breakdown yeah. of If you part. live long enough, you'll have arthritis. Exactly, basically. exactly. And 
there are many studies out which have taken healthy populace uh, in the United States. There was one about three years ago which took a, a sample size of over a thousand people mm. and did an MRI scan on their lower back. And 79% of them had osteoarthritis in their lumbar spines. And remember, they were asymptomatic. Yeah. They so had no pain. They, had, they weren't complaining of anything. Sure. But without even knowing it, they had arthritis. Yeah. So arthritis is a normal process yeah. as, as one ages and especially, you know, if, if you're doing work or, or involved in activities of high loading on your spine, it, it is normal to develop some osteoarthritis in your spine, but that doesn't always and very seldom actually in, results in pain or disability. Sure. All right. So, so as I said, someone comes to you and they do have, they do have this sort of chronic pain. Um, let's talk about, about where, where they can go. Cause I mean, you, you've, you in a sort of super speciality almost of physiotherapy, uh, w- regarding the spine and the, the sort of treatment thereof, uh, orthopedic manipulation. Uh, maybe before we get to that, uh, we can just talk about, uh, not to knock them. No, you don't want to knock them, but just the differences in your, from your opinion in a chiropractor and what you do. Well, I think a lot of what the chiropractors and the physiotherapists do are much of the same. Um, okay. A chiropractor is, is a well-trained health professional. They, they train extensive or do six years of, of intensive medical training mm-hmm. and they are, um, a musculoskeletal specialists by definition if if you look at chiropractors so a lot of the the examination and treatment that one would would expect at a physiotherapist would be very similar to a chiropractor but right. they the thought processing and and methodology of why pathology occurs if yeah. it differs quite quite a lot between physiotherapists and chiropractors all right so um you guys, in terms of what what's the difference, you you. Well, I'm I'm not too clued up on on the no, most recent tell, curriculum. Tell us, tell us uh, the physio side. Okay, so if if we look at physiotherapy, obviously we we train alongside Western medicine doctors. We attend med school mm-hmm. and we do five years of training. Yeah. And we we essentially believe in the biopsychosocial model, as as the doctors do, where pain occurs from kind of pathology or problems in in the tissues in the yeah. body and obviously that results in in impairment yeah um the a, a, a big theme with the chiropractors is they they tend to believe that pathology or pain is as a result of what they call subluxation in in the vertebrae okay which which leads to compression or uh, I think the the best way I can describe subluxation to people is, is if you can man- imagine that the vertebra are all sitting in one nice straight line, um, and then one of them sort of goes out of line, uh, and that that basically is is essentially what subluxation means. Exactly, and um, they they believe through their training that pathology results from um, impaired conduction of the nerve roots that we spoke about in nerve root pathology of lower back pain earlier. Yeah. Due to these subluxations, right, and um, and we're not sort of really on the same page on the subluxation side, well, necessarily. If if you look at the evidence, there's not a lot of evidence to support that theory. Okay. But then again, there's not a lot of evidence to support the use of non-steroidal anti-inflammatory drugs or manual therapy, which physiotherapists do. So I think you know before we before we look towards other professions and point fingers, we should look at our own evidence as well. Fair enough. Fair enough. All right, so someone comes to you and let's say they do exactly that 
as I said, they've had years of back pain and they've been taking the non-steroidal drugs. Uh, you know, your uh, ibuprofens, uh, your aspirin-based drugs. Uh, and they've been saying, ah, I've been taking these drugs forever. They've done nothing for me uh, except giving me an ulcer. And uh, uh, help me. Yeah, I think in, in the medical fraternity, we've we've really created a monster when it comes to pain and, okay. and making people reliant on drugs um, for relief. As as you'll know, your non-steroidal anti-inflammatories and your opioid-based analgesics come with their own side effects and long-term effects on your kidneys and your liver and, as you said, your gastrointestinal lining as well. Mm. So I think it, if someone walks into you from the street and they've had years of back pain, it's important to listen to what they're saying, yeah. give them a good physical examination and make sure that the pathology is not a serious pathology, as we spoke about, or yeah. a nerve root pathology. Cool. And if they fit into the nonspecific back pain, yeah. the, the evidence that's coming out at the moment actually shows that getting these people active and to start exercising over a period of time actually provides the best relief for them in okay, terms of so, their pain. So in terms of exercise, what are good exercises to be doing then if you've got this nonspecific back pain? Well, I think exercise is unique for everybody. I think it's important to find a, a common base with your patient, uh, find out what your patient enjoys mm-hmm. doing, and also you have to find a common ground to make sure that the exercise you give them, they will actually do. So there's no point in telling someone that they need to sit on an exercise bike three times a week for 40 minutes if they hate cycling, for example. Yeah. But I think as... As long as you can get them off their chairs at work and away from their computers two to yeah. three times a week and doing some form of aerobic or anaerobic exercise, it will definitely give them a good relief in their pain. Is there any exercise you would avoid if you've got back pain? Well, obviously, if, if your back is not well, you want to avoid high-loading exercises. So Weightlifting is probably not great? With, within reason. Okay. Um, I think things, things like squatting and... Mm you know, leg pressing and things which are putting a lot of weight in your spine are, are not ideal. That'll be good news to some people. You can skip the legs day. <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> but only, only if you've got back pain. <laughs> That's correct. All right. So, all right. But uh, other, you know, cycling, running okay? Uh, I think if if they're able to run and they don't experience too much difficulty, then yes, absolutely. Um, if you look at people with osteoarthritis of their knees, yeah, um, there's a lot of, of good research out that shows that if these people continue running mm. and actually maintain their quad strength, they actually have less pain. Um, oh, really? Com- compared to those who okay. kind of drop. Even though they're doing a high impact sort of exercise on their knees, and that's where the problem is, they seem to because of the strength in the muscles, which obviously are all connected. You know, mm-hmm. that old song of the leg bones connected to the hip bone. Um, uh, but essentially, uh, that that helps to strengthen. Yes, exactly. All right. So, so the first thing you're telling your patients is, what are you doing in terms of exercise, and go do some exercise. Yeah, I think when when I sit down with my patients, that's one of the first things that I'm interested to know in um, is is what is their level of activity, who are they, you know, what what do they do, mm-hmm. how much time are they spending behind a desk, are they involved in any form of exercise. Um, these are all important things that that we look at. Um, in in terms of treatment of low back, obviously I said uh, a good examination is very important. 
And there, there are many modalities that physiotherapy has to offer in, in terms of management of low back pain, okay. acute or chronic. So this is the part where you put your hands on them and then they scream in pain and cry <laughs> like grown men. Yeah, that, that's not always true. <laughs> if, if you go into, to a health professional and you're leaving in more pain than you actually got there and well, I think then you should look at changing your health professional, especially right. in the chronic so, pain people. It's a nice piece of advice. So, uh, you, you, yes, it, it, some of the treatment may be a bit sore, but essentially when you leave, you should feel better, not worse. Look, often after a physio session, you may feel bruised yep. in, in the low back because you're often moving joints in, in a manner which the person can't actively move them. So it would be normal to feel a bit of bruising or post-treatment soreness. Mm. But if the day after or the day after that your symptoms have been exacerbated, yeah. then obviously you, you, you need to be reassessed and make sure that the pathology has been identified correctly. Okay. And 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 what other sort of, you mentioned a couple of modalities. So, I mean, there's obviously uh, the physical side of things. And, sure. and what else can, so can be done? So, the, the modality of treatment is directly dependent on, number one, the pathology, mm. and number two, the stage of healing, or in, in which stage of healing the person is in. So we spoke about acute back pain, yeah. and and we spoke about the fact that as time progresses, as the weeks and months progress, the level of pain should decrease mm. um, in that person. Mm. And as the pain decreases after time, as physiotherapists, we really try and increase the level of activity. So get these people back into exercise. And if they're not exercising, gradually get them to start exercising over time. Okay. Um, physiotherapists also can offer, like you said, torturing massage, <laughs> which is actually a very poor, a small part of what physiotherapists do. Mm-hmm. Um, we offer manual therapy in which, as you mentioned, joint manipulations or mobilizations are done for stiff arthritic joints, okay. as you spoke about. And then we have various other electrotherapy modalities, such as ultrasound, uh, interferential therapy, which are all kind of electrical modalities we can use to decrease pain, decrease swelling. And all of the treatment that we do is ultimately aimed at getting the person back to activity. Okay. And the, the sort of ultrasound, I think that's the where you put those sort of uh, electrodes on uh, and it's, it almost feels tingly. Uh, that that's actually the interferential therapy okay. that we use. Ultrasound is a modality in which electrical impulses are passed through a crystal, um, and it creates vibrations deep in the tissue at a few thousand hertz a second. And if you think about an acute injury or early stage injury, it's often quite swollen, red, uh, painful, and mm. unpleasant. And the ultrasound often helps break up the swelling and allows the body to absorb it much easier. Okay. All right. So those are sort of the modalities. What What is your feeling on sort of, I know you're not a big fan of the anti-inflammatory side of things, but in chronic back pain, uh, you know, some patients do find uh, use. Uh, you know, how do you feel about uh, well, those approaches? Well, I think drug, drugs are very important in the management of pain. But I think if drugs are very important and effective if we use them correctly, Sure. Um, if if we look at acute back pain, for example, your non-steroidal anti-inflammatories or your coxib drugs yep. um, are are imperative to to managing initial pain. We don't want someone to be in agony 24/7. But as healing occurs and time progresses, these people should definitely become less dependent on on these drugs. Um, if if we look at chronic pain, it 
chronic back pain, so longer yeah. than three months, when we spoke about the changes in the nervous system, for example, the central acting drugs such as your opioids and um, your nerve channel stabilizers such as your Lyricas and stuff like that have got very good evidence in conjunction with getting these people active um, okay. to, to control their pain. So that concept of almost a multidisciplinary approach in Absolutely. which in which you're possibly being treated by your doctor who's giving you certain drugs, which are the right drugs, um, thought about in the correct way. Uh, also, I mean, we've got to be careful of addiction with opioid-type drugs, mm. you know, the morphine-related drugs. But certainly your doctor and then obviously going to a physio. Um, any other, you know, what's your feeling on biokinetics to get you sort of exercising and, and that side of things? Well, biokinetics is a profession which has really grown um, worldwide and in South Africa over the last 10 years. Yeah. And I think why the bios do so well is because they get people active. And yeah. exercise is really, as as even your previous caller mentioned when we were talking about HIV and tuberculosis, mm. is exercise improves everything. So I think bios are are a good profession and are, are very good in managing pain. Yeah. But only when people have reached the final stage of, of rehabilitation and have seen their doctor and have seen their physio. And are ready to go And there. are ready for the final stage of rehabilitation, absolutely. Okay. But a multidisciplinary approach is, is imperative. If someone has pain or chronic pain, they should be seeing a doctor to get the appropriate uh, pharmacological treatment and should be seeing a physiotherapist who will mobilize stiff joints, move nerves that are inflamed or or upset and, and gradually get them back to activity over time. Okay. And uh, just lastly, uh, doctors, we're relatively good at referring to physios, or there's still some of us who who, <laughs> who, uh, who uh, try to do everything ourselves? Yeah, I think I, I don't know who's to blame in the situation, really. If it's We often as physiotherapists point fingers. Doctors are never wrong, man. <laughs> we often point fingers at, at the doctors, but I think also the physiotherapy fraternity um, is also to blame in a lot of instances, not educating our colleagues about what we offer and and about about what we can do for patients. Um, but I think if if you are a medical doctor or, or a specialist and you do have someone that is experiencing musculoskeletal pain, whether it be acute or chronic, getting them to see a, a physiotherapist will only benefit them, both in in their intensity or pain experience yep. and getting them to return back to to function or to to activity. Okay, thanks, thanks very much. I mean, great, great hour chatting about back pain. I mean, it's a, it's a massive topic. It's a, a very broad sort of area, uh, and uh, you, I mean, you've done a master's degree in it, so uh, it's it's uh, it's no joke. But uh, final sort of uh, word or comment on on you know something you want someone to take away from from the hour we've chatted for. Well, I think the the message that I'd like to give people out there is is exercise, exercise, exercise. That that is the most important thing. Is if you look after your body, your body will look after you. Cool. That's a it's a it's a good message. A little bit of cheese there, but but a, but it's a fair and good message. Uh, I just want to thank Michael Dare for coming in, physiotherapist and uh, specialises in in the spine and uh, patients with back pain. Um, last thing is that there's a spine week actually coming up uh, Wednesday in September. Yes, uh, the South African Society of Physiotherapy, which is our kind of body that, that the majority of physiotherapists are with, are having a spine week, yep. and that is from the 8th to the 12th of September okay. this year. 
All right, and what what are you guys looking to do in the spine week? So essentially, what what the society aims to achieve in that week is is to promote spine health and really focus on on prevention of back pain and getting people active. So the society has various initiatives where they will go to institutions and and schools promote and have workshops to to teach people essentially how to look after their backs. And 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 how to keep active and how to prevent this epidemic that that we call low back pain. Excellent. Thank you so much. Thank you again for joining us. Thank you to everyone for listening. And uh, I'll see you next week, one to two p.m. Cliff Central, the Health Hour.